0: Good afternoon
1: and welcome to the business community on Callan FM. Welcome to this afternoon's show with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. And coming up this afternoon, we are focusing very much on good works. We'll be looking at the founder of one of the largest charity donation uh, platforms in the world. We'll be looking at a guy who turned a small amount of money into amazing uh, resources for children around the world. We've got a few events for you, and we've got, of course, our topical discussion. And we're starting off the topical discussion this week is
0: corporate social responsibility. Uh, You may have heard of this before. It's often abbreviated to CSR. And it's a company's initiative to assess and take responsibility for their effects on environmental and social well-being. And generally, the term is applied to efforts that go beyond what is merely required by the regulators or um, environmental protection groups. What have you found out about CSR this week, Heather?
1: Well, I... I thought it's a a phrase that is bandied around a lot. And I thought I'd look for businesses that are doing good work in terms of CSR. Uh, There are lots of articles that talk about how it impacts on the bottom line. I tried to move away from that because I believe that if you do the right thing, then financial reward will find its way into the business in some way. And I came across a a well-known high street business, uh, Greg's. Uh, who seem to do loads of things around corporate social responsibility, and when you think of Greg's in the first uh, think moment, of sausage rolls, you think cheap sausage rolls. You know, pile them high, sell them cheap. But they really look at customer health, where they source uh, their products and their ingredients from. They look at the community. They look at the environment. And they look at their people, and they have a number of initiatives. Uh, and perhaps we'll talk a little bit more about those in a moment. But one thing that I I just thought was particularly interesting. I don't know why I was surprised, but when you look at, um, at Gregs, they have a, a Gregs Foundation, but they also list all of the different policies and terms of reference for their various board committees. And they cover everything from audit to remuneration, but then they get into an anti-slavery policy, Greg's field-to-fork policy, farm animal welfare po- policy. So it's really embedded. You know, I don't think they're paying lip service to this. I think they're really working hard uh, to achieve. And, I just found it really, really interesting. What have you seen, Tracy?
0: Well, I looked into um, some studies that have been done, and one um, done last year by Cone Communications. Um, it was an American study, but I think we, we can overlay it onto the UK market as well, found that the majority of consumers surveyed, and that's 87% of them, said they would purchase a product because a company supported an issue that they care about. And more importantly, 76% said they would refuse to buy from a company if they supported an issue contrary to their own beliefs. Now, that's not just CSR, but I think, you know, CSR is part of that as well. Um, But As well, I found out that um, some research done by Simon Tech, the IT company, said that um, a company's CSR strategy is a big factor with the top talent choosing to work in a company. And the next generation of employees is looking for employers that are focused on what they refer to as the triple bottom line, people, planet and revenue. I thought that was really useful. It's not just your customers if you If you want to attract the top talent now, the the next generation of employees that they refer to actually are going to consider what your corporate social responsibility output and actions are, not just as you say, not just what you pay lip service to.
1: I think initially a lot of this came about, or certainly the first time that I became aware of it, was in terms of investments. You know, when you used to take out, um, you know, a with profits investment of some sort, and they'd be asking you where you want your money invested, and there'd be lots of green schemes, you know, um, good works. But now it's not just about where you ha- attracted investment. It is, as you say, it, it's multifaceted, and I think that the benefits. Do impact on the bottom line, but that's not the first port of call. And I, I think we referred,
0: we sort of touched on this a few weeks ago when we were talking about um, embedding your your purpose of your business into your articles of association. And it was it was also um, discussed that um, consumers are getting wise to the fact that companies use. CSR as a marketing ploy, you know, to pay lip service to it, to, you know, to appear good. But actually, the research uh, is showing that people are expecting companies to be authentic about this.
1: The, Greg's, I've mentioned, there was an article in The Guardian um, in February that I found, and it started to look at um, a few businesses that do different things. So, for example, um uh, A company called Tom's Shoes. For every pair of shoes sold by the company, a pair is donated to someone who needs them. Uh, Tom's has shipped 75 million pairs of shoes, which has contributed to protecting more than 2 million children from hookworm, um, which is a parasitical condition that is caused by walking barefoot on contaminated soil. Asda, Uh, you know more well-known brand Uh, the wonky veg box they buy wonky veg um, from farmers who once upon a time those veg might have been discarded so apart from the waste um, element there's actually additional funding to farmers and even Ikea Uh, Last year, IKEA funded a solar farm to bring renewable energy to 20,000 Syrian refugees who who were living um, in a camp in Jordan. So, okay, some of this stuff is big stuff, but smaller works can be done by smaller businesses, whether that's giving your staff a day off to go and helping a school or reading or painting walls within a hospice or whatever it might be. There are so many different ways that you can tick this CSR box, but actually do something meaningful. So from an article
0: on a Business News Daily website, um, there were three pointers that were given as uh, practical ways to, to um, actually bring corporate social responsibility into your business. Uh, one was environmental efforts, so focusing on the carbon footprint of the business, for example. Um, philanthropy was number two by donating money, products, services to social causes. Number three was having ethical labour practices and treating employees fairly and ethically and also um, four was volunteering. So actually allowing your staff paid time to go out and support um, community efforts. And um, there's another organisation that we talked about a few weeks ago called Business in the Community. Yep. BITC, and um, part of their statement right at the head of their website is, we believe the prosperity of business and society is inextricably linked. If every individual business strives to be the best it can be in all areas as a responsible business, there will be a positive multiplier effect that will benefit society, the economy and the environment. If businesses collaborate, they can have a greater impact upon key issues than if acting alone. And it's worth exploring their websites. They've got some useful resources explaining how you can actually practically implement some CSR into your business. And they've also got an awards scheme as well. So for... um, That if you've got an innovative and responsible business the 2019 responsible business awards are going to be open for entry later this year so go along to their website take a look so bitc.org.uk register your interest and get some updates and and perhaps consider nominating your business
1: You're listening to the business community on Calon FM. And if anything we're talking about this afternoon has captured your imagination, then we'd love to hear from you. Get in touch with the station direct by phoning 01978 293 393. Or you could drop us an email to infocalonfm.com. Or why not tweet us at calonfm. Calon FM? Calon FM! Calon FM!
0: Last week, Google held their keynote conference and they revealed a few interesting things. I've picked four, which I thought were of particular interest. Well, certainly to me anyway, Um, you can judge yourself whether they're interesting to you. But the first one is Google Duplex. Now, during the conference, they played back a recording of Google Assistant phoning a hair salon and making an appointment in a conversation that sounded like two humans talking to one another. And there was no hint of a robotic voice or that the salon employee recognized that she was talking to a computer that's pretty amazing isn't it oh yeah heather sat, sat there with her mouth wide open so i think that one yeah. worked didn't yeah. it so that's google duplex i think we'll hear a lot more about that uh, clearly people were, were stunned with that news so let, let's see how that comes into play because you can always I don't know, at the moment you can tend to tell it's a computer. You know, Alexa's voice and Siri's voice, your sat nav's voice, it's computerized. But to actually book an appointment and for that other person not to recognize it's a computer, that's a bit amazing, really. It is. How about this one then? Gmail can now draft emails for you almost by itself. So Google are expanding on smart reply feature so I don't know if you, if you use Gmail, but when you've got an email, it looks a little bit into the body of the text and sees if you're invited to something or if you're asked for an opinion on something. And it gives you three options for quick replies. Or you can just go, yeah, got it, thanks, or I'll be there. All, all, all these yeah. are sort of three short one-liners. But actually, this new Smart Compose feature will use AI, again, artificial intelligence, to draft emails for you from scratch and the the new feature will apparently make suggestions for complete sentences as you're typing now i get a little bit annoyed with predictive text and sometimes get into a bit of hot water with predictive text so i'm intrigued to see how this works but fair do's i do use that smart reply feature occasionally You know, sometimes if you're just looking for a quick response, almost acknowledging that you've seen the email, that does seem to work. So it's going to be coming for new um, Gmail consumers over the next few weeks.
1: Oh, my goodness.
0: So if you are actually using this, I'd be really interested to know how you find it.
1: And I'd suggest you're really careful because imagine if it knew that you didn't like somebody and it sent back a, a shirty email. We've noticed that you're normally rude about this yeah. person.
0: <laughs> Would you like us to swear? So the next one is Google Lens. This one I thought was was brilliant, especially with the example that was given in the article that I read. So Google Lens can copy text from the real world into your phone. I was like, sort of scratching my head a little bit until I read one of the uses for it. So you you point your phone's camera at text in the real world, for example, a written down Wi-Fi password. And then with this feature, you can grab the text from that photo and paste it into a text field in your phone.
1: Oh my goodness. So it filters out the background. It just lifts the text.
0: Lifts the text. So you can pick up that Wi-Fi password from the... um, chalkboard that's been written down and bring it back and apparently you can grab it and paste it. Let's see, that's Google Lens. And the last one from Google that I picked out was Google Photos, getting smarter with their editing. Gone are the days when you need really expensive software to to edit photos. Um, Google Photos is getting new features like being able to separate subjects from the background, um, pop the colour or turn the background into black and white You can even start now to put color into old photos, even if they were shot in black and white. So (laughs) it's amazing what you can do. And I think for businesses, because I use photo editing quite a bit just to get the photos onto our website. And sometimes the photo is too bright for the white background text or you just need to do a little bit of something. And I, I always look for the free services that I can use. Because I'm, I'm not a professional photo editor. I don't need the fancy software. But Google Photos getting this level of sophistication could be really useful.
1: Amazing. OK. So have All you right. got some events that yeah, can beat the, yeah, that, Yeah, they're, they're, not, they're not as exciting as that now, I don't think. Um, and I apologise for my voice. I am suffering from cold, so I do sound a little bit uh, bunged up. But uh, a conference that's coming up in uh, next week, twenty fifth, 22nd of May, I beg your pardon, Um I thought it looked interesting. It is in London and it's not the cheapest of conferences. It's 660 quid, including VAT, but it is called Net Impact Approaches Conference. Measuring net impact varies by organisation and sector. But what can we learn from these different approaches and what do they have in common? And then looking at how the concept might be more widely adopted. Uh, The conference takes place in London uh, and details can be found via Eventbrite. Uh, The next one I've got for you is uh, around making tax digital. From 2019, HMRC will um, require people to be able to use cloud accountancy software to be able to submit uh, files electronically digitally uh, and this is a free uh, workshop that is being run by Ellison Co, Co uh, the local chartered accountants and also NatWest it's on the 6th of June it's just a short workshop 8 till 10.30 in the morning and that is taking place in Chester uh, I have one that I thought looked really interesting which is in June, Monday the 4th of June, a half-day guide to innovation and intellectual property for business. This is taking place in Birmingham. It's being run by uh, RBS, Royal Bank of Scotland, and it starts to look at, uh, it's a practical workshop, how to protect innovation and commercially exploit it through IP rights, learn about funding and support available uh, understanding the tax relief available through patent box and R and D tax credits, and a whole host of other things. Uh, some great speakers there. And finally, while I've been looking at corporate social responsibility, I came across the ICRS, which is the Institute of Corporate Responsibility, and you can become a member of that. And I just thought it was an interesting website to have a look at. So it's ICRS com uh, and it has different levels of membership and you could start to look at um, using that as a, a badge as it were but they're running a workshop on the 14th of June uh, in London and uh, you could go along and find out how to do the application, which gets you onto that uh, ICRS membership uh, scale. So, uh, so a few interesting ones there. Details of all of these will, of course, be on our website, thebusiness.community. It's time now for us to look at this week's review. And as you probably know, if you're a regular listener to the show, Tracy and I spend most of our lives Going through books, highlighting bits that that interest and capture our imagination. And Tracy is much more of a Kindle girl than I am. I prefer the printed
0: paper. It's largely because I'm too impatient to wait for the book to arrive. Uh, there's a bit of that. There's
1: a bit of that. So I get my pencil and post-it notes and things like that. And that kind of works for me. But you want wanted to find a way to pull together the things that you're highlighting digitally. And yeah. you've come up with a bit of genius, haven't you? Yeah, so in the in the last show that we
0: did, I I was talking about the fact that we were looking at to sell as human with, by Daniel Pink. And we we'd found all these things. I'd highlighted all of this stuff, and I just thought I'd just like to get all the highlights together. Was there an app? Was there something that could that I could do this with? And I found it. It's it's on Amazon's own website. You're so pleased
1: with yourself. Oh I I have
0: got a smiley face yes. now, yes. Um It's called read.amazon.com forward slash notebook. So that's the the web address. And if you've got uh, an Amazon account and you're using um, Amazon's Kindle reader, I I can't speak for any other readers. Maybe they have the same sort of service. But it will give you any notes and highlights that you've made on the books in, in your Kindle app. So I've done these notes on my phone. And the, the book that we're reviewing is The Promise of a Pencil. I've read this years ago and I thought, actually, I, I can't read the whole thing again. I've got a good feel for it, but it'd be really useful if I could look at the highlights. And I, I look at this website and I have 103 sections highlighted. And it tells me whereabouts in the book it is, what page it's on. And it allows me to delete the highlight if I feel it's not relevant anymore or to... Add a note to the highlight or go straight to that section in the book. I'm one happy girl here. Very, very pleased. So that's read.amazon.com forward slash notebook. But that does rely on you having the Kindle. Um, or a Kindle app that you use to read the books. But it's all here, all of my libraries um, that I've got, and I can look at the highlights. I would just like to say, when we were talking about um, To Sell as Human by Daniel Pink, we talked about the Pixar pitch. I actually used it in real life, trying to think of an executive summary for a feasibility study I was doing. And I I couldn't think of an innovative way to do it. And I used the Pixar pitch, that we we talked about with yeah. in um, with Daniel Pink's book. So I I did a Pixar pitch for a conference that I was proposing. It was brilliant. I just like to say not not the fact that I did it, the fact that it was a story that I told along the lines of the Pixar pitch. So that uh, was it well received. Feedback. It it was, uh, yeah. and actually I then had to go to my Kindle app on my phone to read out some of the other examples that Daniel had given. Because if you recall from the the show that we did, he'd done a pitch for the actual book that this was written in. And I I thought I was really blown away by that and said that that would be the standard by which I would judge myself. And I got the opportunity to use it. Fab. Fab. So let's go to this week's book, The Promise of a Pencil by Adam Braun. How to create... How an ordinary person can create extraordinary change. I read this several years ago and it stayed with me. It's inspired me. It inspired a conference that yeah. I organised with, with Denise Oliver. And it, it, it's one of those lovely little books. I think the reviews on it are a little measured, but I, I'll just share with you what I thought was really useful about it. The, the first thing that, that I pick out is right at the beginning, there's a quote from Howard Thurman. And this sort of sets the tone for the whole book. And the quote is, don't ask yourself what the world needs. Ask yourself what makes you come alive and then go do that. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. I love that quote. I really, really love that quote. And another quote, which I thought was worth mentioning, was just on the uh, the cover of the book. Um, or Actually, it was on Adam Braun's own website, a quote from Richard Branson about the book. And he says, for anyone looking to transform the world, this book will show you how to get it done. So that big words indeed, that from uh, Richard Branson, and a, and a great testimonial for the book. And it's essentially, it's the story of this uh, amazing young man, Adam Braun, who uh, had a, a history, a, a career in banking, and he was travelling around the world, and he, he, he eventually ended up setting up this um, organisation. I won't say charity, he... he, he for very particular reasons, he doesn't refer to it as a charity, which has gone on to help children around the world and building schools and, and helping to educate children around the world. And the way I would sum up the book is it's his story in chapters with a learning point and a bit of self-help stuff and motivational stuff along the way. He borrows from lots of other self-help people. He quotes directly from other people, but set in the narrative of his own story. It's a really easy read and you can take chapters, sections at a time. You don't have to read the whole book through. And when I dipped back into it, I I was pinged straight back there to the first time that I read it. Now, Heather, you, you haven't got the hardback book you haven't got no I haven't got the post it's a feel on the back foot totally but what did you you did a little bit of research around the book itself didn't you
1: yes uh, uh, the when I looked at reviews of the book uh some people were quite not disparaging but they they were like oh yeah yeah you know it's another one of those you know I've, I've I've started from nothing and I've done something amazing and people started to be a little bit um less than generous, shall we say. But I don't think that, uh, that Adam Braun sets out to be anything other than just demonstrated to people that there are loads of ways of looking at this. Uh, these are some of the ways that I chose to look at a situation. And you might want to try some for you. He, he's not set himself up on a pedestal. He's literally just saying, you know, from from small acorns, great oak trees can grow. Uh, a I just, I just thought I'd just take it, his words uh, as part of the introduction to the book. He says, this is the story about what happens when you acknowledge that there's more for you to become and that you don't have to have enormous resources to make a difference in the world. That is so true. It is a story about what can unfold when inspiration strikes and you realise that the rewards of living a purposeful life are rich and lasting. It's the story of my life, although I've changed the names of several people at their request. But it's a story that can belong to anyone. And that is the sentiment throughout. Uh, whenever you look, if you're if you're being generous uh, and not trying to shoot somebody down in flames for whatever reason, that's all that he's saying. I did it this way. You could do it your way. But ultimately you don't have to have big bucks to chuck at something you literally start and he started from asking a child uh who was begging um in wall street uh, sorry begging on the streets of india sorry when he was traveling and he said what would you like most in the world and the boy said he wanted a pencil
0: yeah so he he started that the the journey in the book um with with asking a girl in Hawaii, a girl in Beijing, a boy in Hong Kong, a girl in Vietnam, and then this boy in India, and that, that's where he felt they'd had the revelation. But initially he thought that they would say an iPad, a computer, this toy, that toy, because he was looking at it through his own eyes. Yeah. And it, it, he says later on in the book that um, one of the ways... Um, that you you need to look at at the world is is to just to change your perspective. so rather than um, focusing on the things that uh, the way that the world appears to you, look at it from another people's point person's point of view. So the girl in Hawaii wanted to dance. the girl in Beijing wanted a book more than anything in the world this is. the boy in Hong Kong wanted magic. Oh. And a girl in Vietnam wanted her mum to be healthy. She was sick in bed all day and she just wanted her to hold her hand to walk to school. Wow. Now, if that doesn't bring a tear to you, I don't know what will. But the boy with the pencil in India. And he says in the book, up until that point, I always thought that I was too young to make a difference. But through that small act of giving one child a pencil, because he had a pencil, it was within his gift to give that child a pencil. He couldn't do the magic for the the boy. He couldn't make the girl's mum healthy. But he could give this boy the thing that he'd wanted more than anything in the world. He could do that. He gave him a pencil and he realised that even big waves start with small ripples. So and that sort of inspirational thing that I found all the way through the book. Another thing that I'd highlighted, I'm looking at my Kindle um, highlighting app now, is that he started to ask parents what they most wanted in the world. And a common answer was an education for my child. So the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. That's another quote I pulled from the book. And what what I like about the book as well is that when you read these standalone chapters, there's a learning point in it and one that I've really um, taken with me over the years because, as you do and, and um, several other people listening to the show do, we've run workshops, we've run courses, we've run events before and... One of the big concerns is, will I get enough people there? You know, will, will, will I have yeah. it enough people to make it worth doing? And um, one of the chapters that really inspired me was this um, chapter where the main learning point from it was focus on the one person in every room. And he actually ran an event where there was one, only one audience member. There were about six people in the room, but the other people were for, from his team. He'd gone on the university t- tour trying to... Um, gather support from the students in the universities for his cause. Um, uh, he calls it a for-purpose organisation, not a charity, yep. not a not-for-profit. calls it a for-purpose organisation and only one person turned up. And he took the decision there and then not to cancel it, not to change it, but he stood up and he talked to her. And that person got involved in the organisation, became one of the key team members in that organisation. And that's always worth bearing in mind. So that was just one standalone chapter, even if you don't read the book as a whole. And I, I know the gentleman that um, referred this book to me many years ago was Sid Madge. And he's um, he's got a particular chapter that he referred to at the time, which was relevant to his life at the time. So I think if you take little bits from it, it it's well worth it. So whether you get the hard copy, whether you get the Kindle copy, whether you just have a look at Adam Braun's own website and the, the Promise of a Pencil website, There's bits that you can pick up from there, particularly if you're interested in doing something that makes a difference.
1: And so often the case with with these types of books is that if you read it now and you read it five years from now, different things will resonate with you because it it depends where you are in your in your life and you use Sid as a uh, as an example I'm sure that if he read the book from scratch now he might choose a different chapter as being the one that that speaks most to him
0: but in this section on the book I'd just like to uh, finish if I may with the the bit that I took and highlighted in the epilogue for the book and it's one sentence which says make your life a story worth telling
1: this week's guru or person of interest is a lady called Anne Marie Hubie. I think it's Hubie, who is the co the, the founder of Just Giving. Uh, if you haven't come across her before, uh, she and a lady called Zareen Kar- Karar co founded Just Giving in 2000 to enable charities of all sizes and budgets to receive donations online from anywhere in the world Uh, at that time the ability to raise funds uh, through you know if you were doing a sponsored this that or the other was literally to go around with a piece of paper and ask your mates to give you a fiver if you complete a marathon or whatever it might be. This totally changed the way that that people could do that. And I think it's something that we take for granted now. But in 2000, nothing like this existed. And it it meant that people could donate small amounts of money to people that they'd never met if they wanted to, just because they were doing something for a good cause. Uh, She's an interesting case study, but a very difficult lady to find anything out about. What did you find, Tracy? So
0: Yeah, I did the usual Wikipedia, at LinkedIn, but um, most of the interesting stuff I found was from articles. And um, so she, she went from studying journalism, uh, went to present a radio programme in Belgium, which is her home country, and then she moved to the UK, where she was a reporter for the Birmingham Post. And uh, she was studying English and teaching French in the evenings. And then apparently she got a, a call out of the blue from a friend in Belgium who was re- um, recruiting for Médecins Sans Frontières uh, for somebody to help with its media operations. And so at the age of 24, she was setting up the press office for Médecins Sans Frontières in Zagreb. And she went on from there to to understand how to make the... MSF's charities website, Transactional. And then that led on to this inspiration with her and Zareen to um, develop a shared resource where people could give money, as you say, without knowing the cause. It was a it was a real revelation at the time. And so she was looking for ways to make it better and easier for a donor who wanted to donate to a project or a cause. And, uh, yeah, she... Apart from around just giving, I've been able to find out very little about her. And since she's sold just giving. So there was quite a lot of stuff around the sale, which happened last year. And, and then this they sold just giving to Blackboard, uh, one of the world's largest non-profit cloud software companies. Um, she's gone very quiet. So no doubt, I'm assuming she's having a well-earned rest from all of that because. The other things that we found out about it were largely criticisms of the organisation, which I, I I see where they're coming from with it, but I, I felt in many, many cases that the criticisms were misplaced. Uh, for example, she came under a, a lot of criticism for, um, well, she did, the, the organisation and by... Um, the fact that she's a, a founder and was director of it for taking donations from the charities that were raising the money. In particular, uh, with when Stephen Sutton died, uh, he raised um, over four and a half million pounds for Teenage Cancer Trust, and just giving came under a lot of flack for taking a percentage of of the donations in fees, even though, they made a large donation to the charity themselves. And there's been a lot of commentary on it, and, and I don't, I'm not even sure that the parties are going to, to come eye to eye with it. But in the article that I read um, in The Independent, Hubie is, is quoted as saying, nothing irks me more than the desire to see charities run on a shoestring. And the reason why cancer research and MSF are incredibly effective is because they are ambitious and well-run professional organisations. They hire talent and buy great services. And fundamentally, I believe that charities deserve the best. So... I think from my point of view, looking at what she achieved with Zareen, um, who's got a banking background, um, was absolutely amazing. And it, and it's changed. It was a disruptor, I think. Yeah. It, it It's changed the face of charitable giving. And as you said before, there's so many different ways that you can get money to people now but way back in 2000 2001 when it really kicked off there there weren't those things available it was a charity book you took people coming round to doors or relying on um, people to leave them money in their wills this was a, a game changer
1: and it's also a game changer for small charities because once upon a time the only charities who had an online presence at where perhaps people could make donations electronically they would be the big Charities, what about those lesser known charities? What about, um, you know, people, you know, a, a one man band who wants to do good work and use the profile of their case to, to, to raise funds that wouldn't be accessible. Uh, and if you did do it on a street, a shoe, a shoe string, not easy for me to say, if you did do it on a shoe string, uh, it would. It wouldn't be trusted. It wouldn't be robust. It would fall over. Just Giving is, is the world's most trusted platform for online giving because it is secure. And they have a mission. Our mission is to ensure no great cause goes unfunded, so regardless of their size, and no matter what people say. Uh, we have helped 100 people in 164 countries raise over four and a half billion pounds for good causes since we were founded in 2001 okay there's going to be a cost associated with that but where would that four and a half billion pounds come from and how would it find its way to the charities if it weren't for um, this brilliant idea
0: and I, I found an article on fundraising.co.uk by a gentleman called Adam Salmon. And he makes some really interesting points. So he's this article was written at the point at which Blackboard were buying just giving. And he, he looks into the reasons why Anne-Marie and Zareen might be selling. And yes, one of the reasons being that it's at the height of its success. But he goes on to say there's another reason and he says it must be galling and wearing to have founded a site that has delivered so much to so many charities, yet received so little thanks and so much opprobrium. And every time the Just Giving site works precisely the way it has been designed and resourced to, and delivers a staggering fundraising response in a short space of time, there is a corresponding call for Just Giving to waive their fees. And yeah, it must have been tiring. I've seen a blog post where Anne Marie has written this blog post herself on the Just Giving website defending the need to take the fees from from the charities in order to keep this platform going. And Adam Salmon points towards a TED Talk that i would not seen before. I so said, there's no TED Talk by Amory marie Hubie that we could watch. But this one was by a gentleman called Dan Palotta. And he's um, an activist and fundraiser. And in this TED Talk, he calls out the double standards that drive what he describes as our broken relationship to charities, he says that too many nonprofits are rewarded for how little they spend, not for what they get done. Instead of equating frugality with morality, morality, he asks us to start rewarding charities for their big goals and big accomplishments. I can recommend it; it is a great talk. Dan Palotta on TED Talks. So we're just about. Running out of time. As as always, we could talk on for another hour, probably, but, but this is the point at which we come up with quotes. This time, Anne Marie's not all over the the media. There's not a lot of quotes, but we've both picked out ones that that we felt meant something to us. And the one that I've chosen is sometimes you need to pretend to have authority. And this was on a, a website where um, lots of. Um, Women in business were asked for advice to other um, business people. And she she said that as a young person in a new role, you might find it difficult to assert yourself. So sometimes you have to pretend to be the person you want to be. That's mine. Heather, what's yours?
1: I looked at her LinkedIn profile and we've talked uh, about uh, not-for-profit in the past. And instead of saying not-for-profit, for purpose or for good. And she said... I'm driven by the belief that the for good space deserves as much capital, talent, entrepreneurial spirit and innovation as any other industry. You've been listening to The Business Community with me, Heather Noble. And me, Tracy Jones. Join us next week for more news, views and reviews from the world of business.